So this morning, if you would uh, turn to James uh, chapter 1, we will look at verses 5 through 8 this morning. It is always great for us to gather underneath God's Word. It is God's Word that carries authority in our lives, and it is the reason uh, why we gather on a Sunday morning is to hear uh, from God's Word. Um, so what we'll do is we'll look at verses 5 through 8 this morning, um, and then I'll take you traveling through the Bible in a couple of places. So this might help you to tell you this ahead of time. Uh, uh, we will look at Job uh, chapter 28, uh, as well as uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, some we will look more closely at, some will just pass by, but... Uh, all of our message will be driven from the message of James uh, here. So let us pray, and then we will read the word and uh, hear the Lord's word for us. And Father God, we do seek your wisdom in our lives this morning. Uh, we need faith. We need desperate faith right now. We are desperate for faith and for your grace and for your mercy to entrust ourselves to you during trials and troubles. We ask for grace in our continuing trust in you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive the wisdom that comes from your holy word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the inerrant word of God for us this morning. So the question for us this morning is to ask ourselves this. Will we, will you, will I be able to stand steadfast in our faith all the way until the last day? In the world, is it the world that we look to and its ways to make us able to stand? Is it the world and its system that will make us wise unto salvation? That's a rhetorical question. Of course, you know the answer is no, right? You know right off the bat that the answer is no. When we think about the, the world that we're in right now, the uh, political upheaval, um, uh, stories on each side that are not necessarily the truth, they're just a tale being told to try to get everybody to buy into them, then we've 2020 has been weird, has it not? I mean, if you just think about... Uh, we, some of us have had personal trials as well on top of the trials of a pandemic, political upheaval, all of that. Uh, it can be unnerving. And oftentimes we want to know, where do I go? Where do I go? Can I watch the news and get wisdom and truth and knowledge? Probably not. Um, can I read a... a, 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 a a story uh, on Facebook and trust the validity of that story as to be wise and truthful? Probably not. But you see, for us, when a born-again person, when a regenerated person who's regenerated to a new life in, in Christ, they have a view of the eternal. It's, it's, 
It is given to you at the point that you receive Jesus, you understand there's an eternity. That, that this temporary life, it is what it is, but there's an eternal life that can be had and that is had by us. It is a promise that is forever. It is a life forever promised by God and it is a life that has been won by the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. And see, the born again believer, you and I, we live in this temporal world with all kinds of troubles and all kinds of trials. We live just like everyone else in the world does. And it's likely that the Christ, the Christ follower will be presented with new challenges, challenges that the world doesn't know. Uh, we'll be presented with a challenge where society rejects everything you believe in, everything you stand for. And especially if you say, Jesus Christ is the Lord. We sang that, we, we recited it from our confession. That is in total opposition to the wise people of the world, isn't it? We say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And for that, you are rejected. If you do so publicly, boldly, loudly, firmly, without reservation, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of my life. He is not only the King of my life, friends, but even though you don't know Him, He is the King of your life. He is the King of the world. It is His world. You're just in it. It is His world, right? But you, you proclaim that, and you, of course, will be rejected and will come to all kinds of uh, additional trials, addition to pandemics, in addition to government upheaval. But King Jesus will never reject his subjects because they reject King Jesus, right? And those who reject King Jesus are certain to reject his subjects. They are certain to reject his followers, his kingdom people, us. But the born again live in eternal hope in the temporal world. The trials of the temporal life produce in the believer the virtue of a single-minded trust in the God who saved them. This is what James described last week as steadfastness. It is a single-minded, single-hearted, unwavering commitment and trust in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is an unshakable attentiveness to the things that please God. An unrelenting pursuit of His holiness, an unrelenting pursuit of His transforming work of God that happens to us in Christ Jesus. It is a, un, a relentless faithfulness to the promises of God in an ocean of adversity. That is what we have, friends, as believers in Jesus. An unwavering, unending, steadfast trust in the promises of God in a sea of adversity. Didn't you think that the Christian life was going to make everything easy? I know when I first uh, came to faith, I thought, why am I still struggling with all of these things? Why? I should be better than that now. Why am I struggling even harder? Well, because the things that were not sin to me all of a sudden became sin to me. And it became a lot harder. It became a lot harder for me. But we have grace, we have God, we have what Jesus has given us. You see, in other words, we are to be perfected. We are to be perfected. As James said last week, that, that these trials and these troubles produce in us a steadfastness. And he, and he also he ends it with saying that this steadfastness would lead us to the point where we would be perfected 
in Christ Jesus, right? Being perfected in Him. So, we are to be perfected. We are to be in a perfect posture of humility before God. Because God is the perfect provider. With a, We can come to Him then as the perfect provider in a perfect posture of humility, confident, perfected confidence in who He is. And that prevents us from producing poorly in this life. Right? We have a perfected confidence in God. That God is perfect. That He is who He is always for the believer. I think sometimes we lose sight of what we really have in Jesus, don't we? We lose a little sight of the fact that I am, yes, I am indeed saved by God once and for all. I mess up but it doesn't negate God's love for me. He doesn't change. He still loves me. He still sees me robed in Jesus when I step out and I produce poorly. He still sees me as one that He died for. These times of affliction in our lives, they are promised. There are times of trouble, times of catastrophe, persecution, suffering. These are all promised to us. But this adversity, what does it do in you? What does it do in us? I think, most of all, it reveals in us a vulnerability. It reveals in us that we lack something. Suffering can leave us shaken, leave us weakened. Times of trouble show us our lack. Yet, we're still loved. Remember that. You are loved by God in Christ Jesus. But it's these times of trouble that show us what we lack, where we fall short, uh, what it is that we need. We, we have a lack of power. When you look around at the world and you see all that's going on, and you see the political upheaval, you see pandemics and all of that, I think the worst feeling for me in the moment that my son got COVID and we were locked in the house was this sense of, I am powerless. I'm absolutely powerless. There's nothing I can do. I have to stay here. I'm locked in. I feel no power. I have no wisdom and insight and understanding as to what is going on in the world. Why this pandemic came to my home. Why are we locked in? Why is the lock-in even necessary at some points? Because we were there 14 days. He was sick a day and a half. Right? I, why? I, I don't know. I'm powerless. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the insight. I don't. And then you go and I and I would read stories and I got one side that said one thing, and I got another side that said another thing, and I didn't know what to believe. Uh, I had this lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom, lack of power, lack of strength. Well, these lacks reveal just how fragile and broken we really are, don't they? When trials come, it reveals to us that, you know, I'm not so much. I'm not as much as I thought I was. I really lack some strength. I lack some power. And oftentimes when I'm convicted of sinfulness, I'm there before the throne of God in prayer. I'm like, man, I lack character. And I can't find it anywhere else. I can't read it from some story in a newspaper. Where am I going to go? Where will I go? Well, 
when we feel this lack, there's one thing that the steadfast believer should trust in this. Trust in this. This is what has been given to you in Christ Jesus forever. The steadfast believer in God believes this. He believes what Hebrews 11.6 says, that when faced with either financial ruin, that they can trust God in the trial, that faced with any sort of trial that comes our way, that by faith we can respond to God in a pleasing way, and to know this, that God is the rewarder of those who seek Him diligently. That's what the believer can trust in times of trial, is that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him diligently. And that we can live in a God-pleasing way in the midst of trials, by grace, through His strength, and through His power. We can live a life that is pleasing to God when everything else is displeasing to us. If we trust in God and trust in His Word and trust in His wisdom, the unwavering faith of the believer can respond in a God-pleasing way when their children depart from the faith. Because the born-again believer trusts this, that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him diligently. As we seek God diligently for our wayward family members, we fall on our knees. We can trust God that He is a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him diligently. By God's design and by God's plan, guess what happens in times of trial? We come to the end of ourselves. We come to the end of ourselves when we're faced with affliction, when we're faced with trials, when we're faced with adversity, oppression, suffering, however you want to call it. It is then, and only then it seems, that we recognize what we lack, isn't it? Oftentimes we think we've got it all together, that we've white-knuckled this Christian life thing and we're doing really good. I'm obeying all the things I ought to obey. I'm doing everything good. And then a trial, adversity, suffering, something comes at us and knocks us down to our knees and then we recognize oh my goodness, I lack so much. I am so lacking. Well, James begins this section with, if any of you lacks wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom. Of course, he's saying this because he's certain that they lack wisdom, right? He's certain of that. We come to know ourselves, though, and, we, and our fragility... Um, when what we've trusted in the most has been removed, right? Then we, tr we, we realize that we are just fragile. If we've trusted in our job and then all of a sudden it's gone and we see like no immediate prospects, we're faced with this uncertain temporal reality. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. I've tried everything I can try. When someone we love has been diagnosed with a terminal disease, we're lost. How do I navigate this new truth that I've found out about someone I really love? How can I help them? How can I help myself? How can I heal my brokenheartedness? I am undone. I'm at the end of myself. I'm at the end of my abilities. Well, 
James here is addressing those who have been marginalized and those who have been scattered because of their faith. And he assumes that in these trials that it has revealed their lack. Wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom. If It's as if to say, if any of you don't know the way forward, when you're unsure of the path that you're to go, what, what path will lead you to more faith, to steadfast faith and trust in God? If you desire the best outcome, like uh, the course of action, what is it that will please God? What is the best course of action for me to take in times of trouble, in times of adversity, when I've noticed that I'm lacking strength and power and wisdom to do anything differently? Well, James 5 says, let him ask God. Let him ask God. Does that not seem so simple? Let him ask God. Well, remember how we ended last time. The end goal is to have a steadfast life perfected in us that in the trials we take on more and more of the character of Jesus. James says, we are to be perfected, therefore lacking nothing. For the Christian man or woman who's facing trials, they recognize their lack and guess where they go. The perfect posture, prayer. Prayer is the perfect posture, a prayer of humility, a position of humility and prayer before God in these moments of trials and adversity. The steadfast believer recognizes that faith itself is a gift. And so, therefore, there's no boasting in me. I've come to the end of myself. I'm dependent upon God. I must pray. I'm at the end of myself. I need to ask God. I don't have the wisdom, strength, knowledge, intellect, power, whatever it is to get me through, to move my way forward. I must fall to my knees, humbly dependent upon God. There is no boasting in me. The believer then acknowledges that if I'm going to overcome, say, a financial hardship or my rebellious child, I must recognize that I lack God's knowledge and God's wisdom and that I must diligently seek the rewarder of the faithful. And the first step is prayer. Ask God. Well, your friends, they might be helpful, right, to some degree in times of trouble, but they too lack the wisdom and knowledge of God. Where do we go first in times of trouble? And what do we ask God? Do we ask first for relief from our circumstances? Or is it, God, I need your wisdom and I need your knowledge to navigate this situation? Because I don't know how many times uh, I used to pray diligently for certain circumstances to be removed, and they never were. And then I thought, man, God didn't hear me. He didn't listen to me. He's not rewarding me for good because He didn't listen to me. But first, I should have asked for wisdom, for knowledge, and for power in the midst of the trial. Because the circumstances may not go away. They may, so still pray for that. I'm not telling you don't pray for your circumstances to change. Do pray for that. But I think first and foremost, we have to think about what we need if the trial should remain. Lord, I need wisdom. I need your strength. I need your power. I need your insight. I need knowledge that I don't possess. And that is what we ask of God first. Well, you remember in Job, after the well-meaning friends of Job had given him the benefit of their worldly wisdom, 
Let us turn to Job uh, chapter 28. And in this passage, we will uh, see Job's response to the benefit that he's gotten from their wisdom and how he responds to what wisdom is. Let's look at Job 28, and we'll begin in verse 12. And I'll read through uh, verse 28. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it's not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me, and the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where, then, does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave uh, to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, and when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning, of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Notice in verses 12 and verse 20, Job poses the question, Where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? And then notice verse 13, it says, Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. Wisdom of God is not valued by man because man fails to understand it, understand its value, understand its worth. And then he says, the men of the earth do not have it. Where shall wisdom be found? The men of the earth don't have it. The men of the earth don't have it. Your well-meaning friends don't have it. Basically what Job is letting them know. My well-meaning friends didn't have it. Where shall wisdom be found? Our well-meaning friends don't have it either. And notice what Job says in um, verses 23 through 27. He says, God understands the way to it and knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, and then he saw it and declared it and he established it and searched it out. See, concerning this is concerning who the faithful should seek in finding wisdom, in finding understanding. It's pretty clear, isn't it? God knows the way to it. God knows its place. And then, Notice in verse 28, the humble position of the one who lacks wisdom. He said to the man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. The humble servant of God, knowing their lack, goes before the Lord, the possessor of all wisdom and understanding, with a proper posture, and that is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. 
Not fear like in dread that you're scared of him. In raw, in, in raw reverence of who he is. In a clear understanding that he is God and I am not. A clear understanding of who we are. That's fear of the Lord, the proper position. So back to James. Again, in verse 5. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Without reproach. Think about that. God gives wisdom to all without reproach. Think about this. What can prevent you, what prevents me sometimes from seeking the gift of God's wisdom? Sometimes it's because I don't necessarily believe what the writer of Hebrews says, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I lack some faith. Or sometimes, could it be that you are paralyzed by thinking that your sin has so contributed to your current estate that God will surely withhold His wisdom because of your own faults? Do you believe that God fully satisfied His wrath against you and your sin in the person of Jesus Christ, that in Christ's atoning death, you need not be paralyzed in coming before the throne of God to ask for wisdom? Boldly, the born again can come to the throne of grace and ask for God's wisdom. And He gives His wisdom without reproach to the regenerated believer in Jesus. We come to the throne of God trusting in His nature not in ours. That's the thing. Right? So don't let sin dissuade you from seeking the wisdom of God, from going before it, because you come not in your own nature. You're not coming in your sinful nature. You're coming robed one in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you're coming asking for something based on the character of God, on who He is. He is the one who gives generously without reproach. Right? It is the enemy who reminds you of your sin, isn't it? It's the enemy who reminds you of your failure. When you go to the throne of grace, you're going robed in the righteousness of Jesus, and if you ask for God's wisdom, insight, knowledge, you can trust that He gives to all of His people generously, without reproach. Well, as we look at this, I want us to look at, at, at a parallel pla- passage in um, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. This section is a section on the Sermon on the Mount. And what is interesting about um, this is that when you look at James in several places over the coming weeks, we will see that, that the Sermon on the Mount is parallel to a lot of what James speaks in his letter. Uh, there is a lot of clear similarities to the things that he is addressing in um, the dispersed people. And I think the reason for that, as we see, is that Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, is teaching about what it means to have genuine faith. Right? As compared to a strict adherence to the law, right? He says, yeah, you believe these things, but here's what genuine faith really looks like. Right? And James is really getting at this in his letter, is that these these trials and tests and come, they prove out whether or not your faith is indeed genuine. So we'll see a lot of, of parallels. But let's look 
Now, at a parallel to what James is beginning to talk about here in uh, Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Right? We can trust in that. We can trust in God. Matthew shows us in this passage that we ask because of the nature of the giver. His nature is to give generously to those who will seek Him. His gifts are perfect. You notice that later in James chapter 1, verse 17, he says that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It is God who gives generously, and it is in His unchanging nature and character to do so for the believer who diligently Seeks him. God gives gener generously. He gives without reproach. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. With one condition. There is a condition. And look at verse 6 of James 1. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. There's the condition. A single-hearted Love and trust in God. A mind that does not doubt the goodness, the ability, or the willingness of God. The condition for seeking the gift of wisdom is to exercise first the gift of faith. Right? To ask for, it's an asking God for an additional gift. When I say, God, I want your wisdom, I need knowledge, insight, power, you're asking God to give you a gift. But you exercise the first gift he gave you, which was faith. I believe God, so therefore I need wisdom. The condition for seeking the gift of wisdom is to exercise the gift of faith. Christian, you don't doubt that Christ died for you, do you? Without doubt, God will generously give you the gift of wisdom if you come with a single-hearted love and a single-minded faith. On occasion, I get calls from people out in the community that are in a crisis. Either a family member will call me uh, and ask me to reach out to somebody they love or a, a child of theirs, uh, an adult child is what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I'll get this call from this guy, and I get one from him. I, I reached out to him. I talked to him for a while, and he has problems. And every couple of months he calls me back. And I tell him the same thing every time. But he calls me back because he keeps trying to navigate his issues with his own wisdom. So he keeps calling me back. And it makes him mad, but he still will call me back. So I get this call from this guy and he comes and he's got these issues, and he says, I, I need help to overcome my problems and my issue, issues. Um, so I always ask him first, have you prayed? He says, yes, but I have doubts. I feel like I have enough knowledge, I have enough wisdom, I have enough ability in myself that I ought to be able to get myself out of these situations. 
I have doubt. I told him, I said, well, if you have doubts, then you're praying the wrong thing. Well, what do you mean, Jeff? I'm praying the wrong thing. We have doubts. You need to pray for faith first. You need to pray for faith first. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to ask God that He might grant you repentance, that He might give you faith. You might, you need to ask that you be born again. You need to ask Him that first. Well, see, for us, the born again have been given this gift of faith that they might go before the throne of grace, grace and ask for the wisdom of God. And this person doesn't have that yet because he has doubt. But the born again goes without doubt. You see, the born again know that the wisdom of God is ultimately found in the person of Christ Jesus. We've discovered the wisdom of God, haven't we? We have discovered the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's move on. And we'll look at the doubter. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. To ask wisdom from God with doubt is to ask with a duplicitous heart, a divided allegiance, a directionless prayer is what it is. It's a prayer that would bounce off the ceiling of heaven and it drifts aimlessly about the cosmos. A prayer in doubt about God's ability, desire to grant it, to grant that prayer. It's an aimless prayer that bounces off the ceiling of heaven. It goes nowhere. It drifts along. And the petitioner of doubting prayers, James says, is a person who gets tossed by the waves and, and tossed by the winds and they're unable to find their bearings in life because they're double-hearted, double-minded. The meaning of double-minded uh, and the idea of it is that it's translated from the word that means two-souled. A double-minded person is a two-souled person. Is a person whose soul is not completely sold out for the person and the work of Jesus and has uh, some doubt and, and some doubt and fear as to even their own salvation. So therefore, how would they uh, completely trust in God's wisdom, right? They're a two-souled person. The double-minded person gives much credence to the wisdom of our times, don't they? It is, I sort of see the need for God and His Word and to be uh, listening to God's people and God's Word and and to pray, but yet I kind of think I need to seek the world's wisdom at the same time. He's, he's giving credence to both. He's giving credence to the wisdom of His friends at equal value that He's giving credence to the wisdom of God. A soul that pretends an allegiance to God is a double-minded person. They pretend an allegiance to God alone for wisdom, but they display a basic disloyalty toward God. Rather than a single-minded trust and love of God, their character and their conduct is unstable. It's even hypocritical. Is it any wonder that that person should expect anything from God? It's no wonder that they should expect nothing from God. They have a mixed allegiance. The world and him. I trust him and I trust this. Uh, of about equal value. 
James here says that that kind of asking of God is futile. With a doubting heart and a doubting mind, a two-souled person, a, a double-minded, double-hearted person. But you know what? This is not so with you, Linda and John and John and Matt and Stephanie. This is not true of you. Because nothing is impossible for you who are in Christ Jesus, who diligently seek God with all your heart. He is your reward. Christ has been given to you and for you. And we, all of us, should seek God's wisdom without any doubt that He will be the giver of that wisdom. Because He's already proved Himself to give us wisdom and He gave us Christ Jesus, the very wisdom of God for our salvation. And he, Christ himself, learned obedience through the suffering that he went through. And it was the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is the gift of God which enables the blood-bought believer in Christ to stand the test, to have the character of Christ perfected in them. If you're here this morning and your life is in crisis, if you've been frustrated with the wisdom of the world, if you've been tossed by the waves in a sea of doubt, well, we need to look to Christ. This passage is also parallel to Psalm 1. Notice in Psalm 1, in Psalm 1, uh, David writes of uh, the type of person that will stand before God in righteousness. And then he compares it with the one who will not. Let's turn there and make it clearer. Blessed is the man who not who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So this is a single-hearted, single-minded pursuit of wisdom that comes from God, not the counsel of the world, right? Blessed, happy is the man who seeks his counsel not from the wicked ways of the world, but from God. His delight, that is the born-again believer's delight, right? The one who is has been bought by Christ's blood, delights in God's law, in God's wisdom, and he meditates on this day and night. And then look what it says about his firm standing. And this is what you want, this is how firm you want to be in the time of a trial, right? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But then look at verse four. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. He's kind of the parallel idea of what James is talking about here, right? That those who seek wisdom from God and from the world are like on a sea being tossed away. And then and then uh, the psalmist here says, it's like chaff, they're blown away, scattered with no direction, um, not supposing that they should gain anything from God, right? Well, if we are in a sea of doubt in this moment, let us turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And... I just I want to read a lot of this passage so uh because we gotta get it all to get it all. <laughs> so I'm gonna read all of this. Uh one eighteen through um 
31. 1.18-31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to things things to nothing that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one boast. Let, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're looking for the world in the world for wisdom or in the world for discernment in times of trouble or looking for uh, a way to intellectualize your way out of it, it's futile. This passage says clearly that God destroyed worldly wisdom when He sent His Son, Jesus, to satisfy His wrath against the arrogant man or woman. The arrogant man or woman like you and I who thought that we were wiser and more discerning uh, than God is. In the economy of God, to be exalted is to be brought low. To be perfected is to be humble. To be free is to be dependent. To be wise is to be emptied of yourself. This message of Christ Jesus suffering for our sin, to be exalted to the place of holy worship and dependence for sinners who hated Him, is a foolish message to the worldly, isn't it? It is a foolish message sent to foolish people about a foolish method for salvation. This is the message we proclaim. But it is the wisdom of God. It's a foolish message to the world, but it is the very wisdom of God. If it seems foolish to you still to this day, then you have to know this, that you are still perishing. And what awaits? An eternity of suffering awaits if you think that this message is still foolishness to you. But if this message of God punishing sin on His Son in your place is wisdom to you, if it is power to you, then you are being saved by its power. Why then would you and I, who are being saved by the wisdom and power of God, displayed for us in the cross and on Jesus Christ, go anywhere else for wisdom? That's the point James is making. And go without doubt. Without doubt. Christ did not doubt when He uh, laid His life down for you. Thy will be done, Father. This is your will. This is wisdom from you. He trusted in God's wisdom, didn't He? 100% trusted in the Father's wisdom. This is the wisdom of God, nevertheless. I don't understand it. 
Remember Jesus in the garden praying? If you could take this cup from me, please take it. Because he's saying, I don't get it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done because I trust in your wisdom. I trust that this is wisdom from God. Well, if this message is eternal to you, is comforting to you, is power and wisdom from God, why would we go anywhere else for wisdom? We need to ask, seek, and knock, and He will give you the gift of wisdom, which is able to make you stand in steadfast faith, living a life, then, that is pleasing to God. This, this, this notion struck me the most this week of this whole passage, is this, is this fact, that I can live a life that is pleasing to God even in the worst of times. Even in the worst of times, I can live a life that is pleasing to God. And then I think, wow, Jeff, you lack a whole lot. Where are you going to get this ability to please God? And then James here tells us that God will give it to you generously if you seek Him without reproach. He will give you His wisdom if you ask and seek it. I can live a life that is pleasing to God. To me, folks, I hope that that is encouraging. I hope that is encouraging to you, that you can live a life that is pleasing to God no matter what trial or circumstance comes your way if you will diligently seek His wisdom. When famine comes, when persecution comes, when adversity comes, when a global pandemic comes, when, when uh, whatever happens in your family comes, you can live a life that is pleasing to God if you will, without doubt, come before the throne of grace and seek His wisdom. I'm going to end with this poem. The wisdom of God is the greatest wisdom that mankind will ever know. And without the wisdom of God, mankind will never spiritually grow. For in the Word of God, His wisdom is written from the first page until the last. All mankind has to do is read these pages, believe, pray, worship, and fast. God will give us all all the wisdom we need to meet our daily task. But we must have faith without doubt as we go to Him for wisdom and ask. For if we go to God with doubt in our minds while thinking wisdom we will receive, we have gone to Him with a double mind and ourselves we have deceived. So if you lack wisdom, go to God in prayer asking for it without having any doubt and God will hear and answer your prayer by filling you with wisdom while giving you a greater shout. Let us take a moment uh, of silence to uh, have God's Word marinate in our hearts. Oh, Father, we do praise You for um, Jesus Christ and our ability to come to, to the throne of grace and to seek Your wisdom and to know that You generously give to those who You uh, love and have died for. And uh, Lord, we... Uh, just thank you and ask uh, again for your grace to help us to walk in this truth of this word, to have uh, a, a posture of humble obedience and prayer and also confidence, Lord, that you uh, are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.